Hello there guys and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week is part two of my chat with Scott Weatherly of the 20th Century Geek Podcast. Now if you tuned in last week I'm sure you'll know that last week we were speaking about the author H.P. Lovecraft and this week is the continuation of that conversation. It was a nice long over nearly two hour conversation so I obviously split it into two and I just want to flag here that any of my Patreons they got access to this part last week and as this one is released they're getting access to part three this week for clarity part three is actually all about Moon Knight so it's his own episode I'm going to name it episode one two three but I recorded it in the same session with Scott. It was just a conversation that was about two and a half hours spreading over all of it. So I just thought, split it into three, make it nice and easy. But yeah, if you want access to that Moon Knight episode a week early, and you also want access to my other show, Afterthoughts, where I release two episodes of that a week on Patreon, go over to patreon.com slash genuinechitschat. If you go over there right now, you can also um, listen to my review of season one of The Witcher and Star Wars The Phantom Menace completely for free. And I do it with Megan, who <laughs> doesn't have the same opinion on films and series as I do in a lot of the ways uh, so it's a very fun conversation and we've got Spider-Man 3 coming up soon which is <laughs> it's like half an hour long <laughs> that's just uh, well more so Megan ripping on Spider-Man so you know go over to patreon.com slash genuine chit chat to check that out so in brief, me and Scott talk in this part about Alan Moore's Lovecraftian comic, which I didn't even know existed before this conversation, um, surviving in Lovecraft's world. Um, Scott also reads out a, a short passage of a Lovecraft story that's quite cool to kind of get a gist of his sort of writing style and whatnot. Um, explains why it's hard to adapt Lovecraftian stories on screen, and Scott also recounts how he first got into Lovecraft. So this one is, last week was more about an introduction to Lovecraft, and then this is more so Lovecraft sort of after his time who's tried to do what with Lovecraftian content and things so it's a really really interesting conversation and as I said on Patreon both parts are already connected together so if you're desperate not to listen to the episodes unsplit then go support the show for only £2 or $3 a month for early access other stuff and also the exclusive Afterthoughts show Aside from that, guys, I'm going to let the chat get started. Make sure you go check out 20th Century Geek Podcast and Stories Out of Time and Space. Both podcasts that Scott do are incredibly interesting and are really nice, long podcasts. So there's a lot of content to get your teeth into. So really hope you guys enjoy that. And um, yeah, I'll be back at the end to talk about what's coming up and all that other jazz. So here we are with part two of HP Lovecraft. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. It seems like his style, his style and his universe is almost, um, it's a peripheral horror almost. I yeah. kind of think of it like when you see the shows like Buffy or X-Files, it's always the pilot, it's always like the world is what you think it is. And then you <laughs> go through a portal, you put on some special glasses or you wear a necklace or something, or you go, you know, Harry Potter does it, Hellboy, you go to the right alleyway, you tap a couple of things, it opens up and you're in this world of crazy stuff. And it's one of those things where I think it's the the world building is probably the part of it that I think has made Lovecraft survive for so long. Because mm-hmm. it, it And it's the reason it's like peripheral is I think that's probably part of his genius in a way because it makes you think of Alan Moore in certain ways because when you, in in certain ways I think of it like this, 
If I could converse with Alan Moore and I could have him on a podcast, which is never going to happen because he basically never does podcasts. Dreams, the dream. Uh, yeah. Scroobius Pip's got a podcast with him, um, which I haven't listened to because I want to listen to it after reading Miracle Man and then mm. reading Watchmen Swamp Thing. I want to make sure there's no spoilers. But with Alan Moore, like I would even ask him about comics, honestly. I would literally just say to I'd ask two questions. I said this to the thing with Steve and I was like, what do you think happens when we die? And what do you think the universe is? Because I feel like people like Lovecraft and Alan Moore and those sort of things, I don't know if it's just they have got such a wild and active imagination or it, this is the more putting the fun sci-fi is mm. real hat on thinking can they see shit we actually can't and oh, this is I'm, just I'm, some yeah, weird I, way in I'm, I always wonder that with Alan Moore uh, because I do I do have this weird thing like him and Alan Alan uh, not Alan Grant sorry I was going to say Grant Morrison him and Alan, uh, Grant Morrison like, you know quite opposing as people in, in mm. many ways but yeah I, I'm always sort of the same I'm like I think they're tapped into something a little different to us like they're yeah. seeing something that's not that we're not uh, Alan Moore actually wrote a 12 issue um, comic called Providence uh, okay. which is a tour of Lovecraft Oh, okay. Uh, and it's about a journalist who comes out of New York, funnily enough, from Red Hook. <laughs> and uh, he then goes on this journey. Um, and he's sort of like, it's basically a tour. He's, he's hunting for something. Uh, he basically gets a story. He's basically looking for the Necronomicon is what it sort of boils down to. But he, he's he gone this quest to find this thing. And basically it takes him to all these places. Like he goes to Dunwich, he goes to Innsmouth. Um, you know, he stays at the witch's house and all these things that, that crop up throughout. He, you know, he goes to Miskatonic. And it's basically a tour of, of, of you know, if you know Lovecraft, like this is a Lovecraft book. It's, it, and it's awesome. It's written, uh, written by Alan Moore, drawn by Jason Burroughs. And it's awesome. It's it's absolutely fantastic, um, and it's it's tr- it's pure Alan Moore. So it's it's Lovecraft via Alan Moore, and it's it's absolutely awesome. It's it's dense, like you know, mm. it's it's. I think it's three three books, three four issue books, and there's a, a compendium or an omnibus coming out uh, later this year. From it's from Avatar Press, um, but that's I, I recommend that. I really mm. recommend that. Like read some of the stories first. Like it's yeah. not it's not your go to. It's <laughs> but it, it comes down later down the line. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I do want to get into that. Because where I'm like, where I'm entering the world of sort of comics and things like that. In in you know, there's certain comics where people's like, you know, read you know, All Star Superman or, or read you know, um, Guardian um, Devil, the, the Daredevil story. And yeah. there's lots of random little things where I'm like, okay, I will, you know, I'm I'm kind of slowly getting through my way. But there are other elements and literature and things. That I just I want to have read, if only to be able to talk with people about them all. But the, so many of them are so interesting. And I think with Alan Moore and with Lovecraft, I think. You know, with George Lucas as an example, George Lucas, he created, you know, Star Wars, regardless of the amount of influences and everything else that he took from other pop culture, he had a really cool worldview, okay? Mm. But when you watch Star Wars, well, when I watch Star Wars, I don't, I want parts of it to be true. You know, everyone wants to be able to use the Force, obviously. But generally speaking, you don't watch Star Wars and there's no part of you that thinks, oh, this is actually real. You go, this is obviously nonsensical. But when you read, or at least when I've consumed certain content from sometimes there's the odd horror film that does it or the odd thing but there's something that unnerves you in a really weird way it's like Mm. unnerving curiosity and i think with alan moore's miracle man run and obviously i'm only halfway through book three and i won't spoil it for people but basically in book three everything it took i had to reread certain books because i was like you read the first book and you go okay this is like a superhero thing and then you read the second one you're oh this is a dark superhero thing Mm. and you read the third book and you're like what the fuck (laughs) is this this is like everything i knew about the world ever and i'm only halfway through it is completely different and it's got the intergalactic species communications mm-hmm. all this crazy shit and you're like oh fucking hell and you're like could is this no but mm. and you, there's that weird unnerving part of you that's like 
would I want this to be real force? Would this cause mass hysteria if it existed? And I feel like it's just real enough. Yeah. You know, and that's what I feel like Lovecraft is. And I think, you know, one of the great things about the, the Miracle Man book, and we will talk about Miracle Man one day, is Neil Gaiman followed it up and answers those questions. No, he doesn't answer them. Let's he posits those questions. What happens in a post Miracle Man world? Yes, and, that, and it's like individual stories about yeah, the, the and, normal people, isn't Yeah, it? and there's some fantastic... There's there's one in particular, I think it's the very first issue of his run, that is absolutely phenomenal and, and addresses this notion of if you've got super beings in your world, how does the world react to it and stuff? And it's it's really interesting. But the thing about Lovecraft, the, the, you mentioned these other things earlier on. You mentioned, like, you know, Miracle Man or these, these comics, uh, and, you know, um, Harry Potter or, or Hellboy or one of these other things, you know, urban, urban fantasy or urban horror where even like Constantine, you know, where mm-hmm. there's a horror. Underneath the world, there is a horror. Um, but the thing is, there's always a hero. You know, they provide you with a, a, a savior. They provide you with that, that that character. There is none of that characters in um, in Lovecraft. Lovecraft doesn't give you a a, um, a hero protagonist. He gives people that survive it. These are survivors' tales. That's the best way to describe it. Like each of these tales are someone going like, "Yeah, I went through some absolute crazy stuff, and you know, I'm just lucky not to have gone mad." Like, and that that's sort of like you know the, there are three outcomes to being to you know experiencing a Lovecraft or being in a Lovecraft story. You go mad, you go missing, uh, or everyone sort of you know stops listening to you. Is basically <laughs> it. You know you have access now to sort of these ancient secrets. Everyone just goes you know oh, they're a bit they're a bit crazy that one because they won't shut up about it. it. You know or you literally go mad. But you know. Um, um, the Hound is a great one as well. It's the Hound, it's, it's not so much uh, a mythos story, but it's literally it's, it's, the Hound is is about basically a couple of goths, like a couple of emos, like they've gone so really bad. Like they've they've uh, de- they live in this apartment or this house, and they've decorated with all this macabre stuff. You know, like it, the, the descriptors are great, but like it starts with like velvet drapes and ends with human skulls on spikes, and they're like, we sometimes we just do this, and you're like, and that basically they go around and do grave robbing. And they grave rob and they steal this amulet from this um, uh, grave in Denmark and bring it back to England. And all of a sudden, they get they're getting hunted by this thing, and they hear like this howling in the wind. And you know, they start to fight, find weird paw prints, like sh- footprints outside their window, and all this. And then all of a sudden, like that, one of them gets killed. And the story is told again from first person by one of these guys. And uh, he then goes back and. He's like, it's all to do with this amulet. It's got to be this amulet, so we've got to put it back. And he's seen this winged creature in the shadow of this winged creature following him everywhere. So he goes back to Denmark and places this thing back in the grave. But this skeleton they saw before that was all at peace and all this other stuff is now sort of like haggard. It's got big fangs. And he's like, oh, crap. Like, the thing that killed my friend wasn't this thing. It was this skeleton. It's, it's morphed into whatever. Puts the amulet back, and it, it it's... It's both brilliant and comedic because it would work as a podcast or as an audio tale. But the end of the book is like, I've put it back, but I fear it's still coming for me. Ah! You're like, you don't write, ah, you know what I mean? So it's sort of silly, but the intent is still there and it works kind of well. Mm. Um, but yeah, you just, you, you die or you go mad or, you know, whatever you go missing. So, there are no heroes in Lovecraft. Swooning, you know, this thing of fainting, the, the, the amount of people that apologise for fainting, sort of like, I saw the unbearable, you know, horrific sight and swooned. I came around hours later and I was the only one remaining. 
that happens a lot. (laughs) (laughs) They're not, they're not heroes. There's no Chuck Norris in this bad boy. These are all, um, scholars as well. I am actually going to read that you say about sort of the, the, the word. I want to read, this is probably the best and most famous paragraph of Lovecraft. And it sort of sums up everything he felt in that later thing. This is the, the opening paragraph of uh, The Call of Cthulhu. Is it all right to just to put a quote in? Please do. Yeah, please. Go okay. So it says, The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of the black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. The sciences each straining in its own direction, have hitherto harmed us little. But someday the piecing together of disassociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality and of our frightful position therein that we shall either go mad from the revelation or free from the, flee from the deadly light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. Wow. But yeah, and that's the opening, and then and that's the opening paragraph of Cthulhu, and it's like, and now I'm going to start the story, and you're just like, no, no I don't think I want to. Like, <laughs> when you when you were describing uh, the story about the the painter and things, with he's got the well in his basement. The the when you even described it without me knowing what it was, the first thing I thought of, if someone looked down that tunnel for long enough, they would go mad, and that's just what I thought. And obviously, the way you're vaguely uh, sort of describe these bits and pieces, that sounds like almost what Lovecraft was intending, and it's like. It's that idea that as humans, this world exists, but we can't, as you said, the, the three parts happen to you. You either you know you die, you're missing, or people start listening to you and things. It's like the human mind can only comprehend so much. And there's the idea that I think it happens in it happens in every, it's so many things where it's just like you know if a normal person viewed this world of crazy beings, the human mind would not be able to take it, and that's why mm. you get people who are in insane asylums. They're not actually schizophrenic. They've seen what the world is really like, and they haven't got the feel. It's lots of intriguing sort of you know maybe late night after late night intoxicating stories. Those sort of fun ones, which is like mental illnesses aren't really a thing. What it is is actually demons exist, and anyone who is schizophrenic has actually seen the demons, and they've been their brain can't process it. And like I'm not trying to. I want to clarify people on this podcast. I'm not saying schizophrenia no, doesn't exist, yeah. but that sort of idea of of like compare how our own reality isn't the true reality. I guess is what I'm getting at. Well, that is totally what Cthulhu is about. The story of uh, the, the call of Cthulhu. Like, there's a whole story in that about how these artists and these people are getting these psychic visions, and people are like they're crazy. They've got schizophrenia or some of the mental disorder, and this character's going like, no, no, I think they're getting psychic flashes from this. Um, this ancient interdimensional being. And everyone's like, all right, <laughs> fair enough. Um, it's, yeah, so you, you do sort of get um, that, that that thing of like, you know, what you know is the universe. What you know is your reality isn't your reality. Or what you know is your reality is your safe little reality. You know, you get up, you go to work, um, you love your family and you'll pet your dog and so on and so forth. But the truth of the matter is, beyond all that, is a vast nothingness populated by these interdimensional beings that don't really care about you. And if you get in the way, they will happily eradicate you and never think about it again. Mm-hmm. You're like an ant compared to them, so it's not even L- a consideration. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, we talk about the films that have been made of these things. Lovecraft is, you know, they say about Alan Moore's written things, and they go, oh, it's unfilmable. You know, oh, you can't film that. Lo- Lovecraft is difficult. It's not impossible, but it's difficult. Um, unfortunately, I think it also gets boiled down too much. And there, there are great films. I think, like you know, uh, Stuart Gordon, uh, director and, and producer, creative bunch, um, the Herbert West reanimator, the Beyond, 
and well both there's a trilogy of, of reanimator films which are really good but they, they lean into the gore and the horror and the fun they're really quite funny but when they try to go to monsters even so i mentioned what the show goths were before when they're described in the book they're like cylindrical with tentacles and all this other stuff and there's another book called there's another story called the shadow out of time which and also i will say you may have noticed the stories out of time and space the podcast is it was was a, was a sort of a a nod cast a lovecraft nod when i put it together uh, but the shadow out of time is about a guy who starts to lose he starts to lose time he goes on this camping trip somewhere i think it's australia and he finds this device this crystal and all of a sudden he starts to lose oh, I've realize there's that same crystal p- appears in a further story the haunter in the dark sorry i've just completely made a connection i'd never thought of before. revelation yeah literally like, yeah so anyway so the shadow out of time he starts to he basically starts to have these um time lapses and they get longer and longer until they sort of form years. And then when you find out what it is, is he's tight, he's mind swapping with an alien, like, you know, hundreds of thousands of light years away. And when they are described, you know, it's so alien. Like, you know, he, Lovecraft is not one of those people that goes, like, oh no, this isn't Star Trek where we put some latex on people's faces, but they all seem to walk around on two legs and two arms. Like, no, no, this thing's sort of like, you know, it's it runs around on you know, thousands of little legs and is a huge ball with a single eye and two claws. It's like, you know, it's, they are massively, vastly different. Like you cannot comprehend these things. Like, you know, try and thinking about what they're thinking about. You can't, it just doesn't work. We are not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of another good thing I love about this is the fact that like these, aliens, these aliens are so different. So vastly different. Like, you know, they describe things when they describe, um, these creatures he uses it undescribed unfortunately he uses things like undescribable or you know unimaginable terror and you're like oh what is that it's unimaginable all right <laughs> fair enough um but when it gets translated to film you have to put it on film so for example the um lovecraft country which i do recommend excellent show really enjoyed it the first episode has shogoths in it you know and when they do introduce them but they look more like they're bipedal. They look like something out of a typical horror film. And I'm a bit like, oh, yeah, I get where you're going. And maybe, you, you know, yes, this is HBO and you've got a regular sort of mainstream audience to satisfy. So show, showing something that would look truly alien and weird wouldn't go down well. But like, it's that thing of giving in and, and going to the norm, which I find a little bit, you know, frustrating. And so weirdly, some of the best Lovecraftian films aren't adaptations of Lovecraft works. Hmm. I, although there is a really good adaptation called The Resurrected, I think. Yeah, The Resurrected, which is a, a, a version of um, the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Um, in the Mouth of Madness, Clive Barker's In the Mouth of Madness with Sam Neillan is a really, really good um, Lovecraft tale. And it's this idea of an hmm. author who's now tapped into these ancient ways and sort of like his books are actually... So he's writing all these books and these books... Uh, Sutter Kane is, is the, is the uh, author in it. And uh, all these books are actually, they're not fiction at all. It's He's writing this vast truth about the reality that exists beyond us in this idea, this Lovecraftian way. And then when uh, Sam Neill's sent to investigate him from an insurance perspective, like all this weird stuff starts to happen. It's sort of the cracks in reality and stuff. Really good, you know, Lovecraftian horror. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's sometimes best to sort of come at it from a sideways angle than try and take it head on. Um, because it is, I think some of it's truly unfilmable. If you were to translate some of it to film, it just wouldn't work. It just, you know, um, so yeah. 
Mm, yeah, because I think there's a film that came out recently that I haven't seen, and I think it's The Color of Space. I think yeah, Color Color of Space um, with with um, Nicholas Cage. Nick, no. Nick Cage. Yeah, Nick Cage. Yeah. It's all right. It's again, it's one of those where when you describe it in the book. Um, it works really well. I, I will admit the film's good and it's, it's mm-hmm. actually got some really creepy moments in, but when you read the book, obviously they've got time to breathe. It's only a relatively short story to be fair, but the, it, it's told as a, it's told as a legend, you know, mm-hmm. it's a guy turns up to do some testing on this water uh, system and he basically meets sort of like the, um, this old guy. Have you ever seen like um, Friday the 13th films? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you get the, the the old guys. You don't go there. It's got a death curse. <laughs> he basically bumps into someone like who tells him this story of why this part of the town is cursed and all this other stuff. And he tells him this story, but it's told from like almost like an unreliable narrator. Like this guy's clearly crazy as well. Yeah. Um, and so you know, it's it's that. But the film's good. I mean, I've watched that. Is one of the better adaptations actually. Yeah. Um, because Reese, he he watched that when he was getting into Lovecraft and things. It was about a year ago now. He um he watched that and he explained it to me. He was like, there are certain parts you can do, but he said that the problem is is that he said not only is it the way he's written, but the way certain things are described are so mm. incomprehensible that even when you read it, you've only got maybe like a vague shadow of an yeah. idea of what it could be. And when you put it on screen, it's it's actually impossible to do it. And I think he said, this, I may be getting this confused, but I think he said with the color of space, the idea is someone see something mm. and this thing that you see your brain can't comprehend it yes yeah. but in the film they kind of show you that but it doesn't translate as well because you see it as, as, as like a purple it's, light or something it is literally that yeah in the book it's this idea that they keep experiencing this color it, it's called the color and it basically pollutes this land and starts to sort of like um things start to die off and it starts to mutate and corrupt things but then when they try and describe the color like they literally say it's not on this it's not on the spectrum that any human could recognize as a color However, in the film, it's pinky purple. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you've got to translate it in some way. So um, I, I'd recommend it. It's worth mm-hmm. seeing. It's on Prime, actually. It's on Amazon Prime uh, at the moment. So go okay, check it out. Um, but yeah, there's there's a couple that are worth checking out. Um, like I say, uh, Herbert West, Reanimator, the, uh, uh, From Beyond, and uh, uh, At the Mountain, uh, In the Mouth of Madness, um, uh, and a few others. So there are a few, but go to the books first. Try some of the stories first. What I would say, you're going to say about which ones to read. What I would mm-hmm. suggest is um, there's, a, there's a, a publication, the Wordsworth Editions, and this is for anybody listening. Uh, and, and this is actually for a number of books because I've got them, but there's the, they're called the Wordsworth Editions. They're on Amazon and they're about two ninety nine. All right. And this one, for example, right, I bought this off. This, this edition has got over 600 pages in this, this edition, right? Just one part of the collection, two ninety nine. They sell them cheap because it's all out of out of licensed stuff. But I think uh, the Lovecraft stuff covers about four books. Um, but not only does it cover his stuff, it covers the stuff he wrote with other people because he edited and, and contributed to other people's stories. That's a whole different thing. But they're worth getting. They're really worth If you want to get it cheap and just try some, I mean, get this one. Uh, this one's the, called The Haunter, uh, the Haunter, uh, uh, Haunter of the Dark. It's got quite a few in there. And the other big one is Horror at the Museum. That's the one that's got the... Um, uh, and they've got the lurking fear. So yeah, I'll, I'll send you a link to them later. But yeah, they're really worth checking out, and they're, they're cheap as well. They're pretty cheap. To sorry, sorry about that down stuff because yeah, it's, it's one of those realms that things like Lovecraft and 
to a lesser extent Alan Moore, but there's certain cool... I mean, I know it was compared things to Star Wars, but also now almost Star Wars, the MCU, there's certain things that they're so vast um, mm. that getting into them without a guide is hard. Now, the MCU is easy because obviously you can just look online and see what film. Star Wars, you just pick a point to start and then you go from there, like everyone starts Star Wars in places. But when you get to like things like Lovecraft, where there's so much that's hit and miss... It's one of those things where you kind of need someone to go, right, you start here, skip this thing and read that. Then if you get, you read two hours worth, you'll probably have an idea of if you want to read more or not. Whereas if you just go in there by yourself, it's just like, I don't have a fucking clue. I mean, there's stories that you don't need to to do. You know, like you say, there's the periphery ones. There's ones that are good, but there's ones, I mean, like, if I was to give anyone a starting point Mm -hmm. um, of easy access, um, I would probably say Dagon. Um, yep. is a really good entry point uh from beyond is is excellent yeah, so look uh, yeah, the outside the other soft um and then that from that the hound yeah definitely the hound with well, the rats in the walls um and then from there you sort of get oh yeah the the horror at red hook and then from there you can sort of get into the bigger stuff um the call of cthulhu um shadow of rinsmouth that sort of thing um, mm. The Whispering Darkness. They're the sort of ones, but if there's a good starting point where you go, ah, oh, right, the shorter stories are a bit more punchy. You go, oh, okay, I get what this is about. I'm getting into that rhythm of the story, of the writing. Um, I mean, the first one I ever tried to read, I, the first Lovecraft I ever tried to read was at the Mountains of Madness. Big mistake. Like, you know, it's one of his big stories. And you're like, I haven't got a clue what's going on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, start small and work up. Uh, uh, but um, just get one of those paperback editions. It's it's yeah. really good. What are you going to say? I was going to ask about, um, chrono- is there like a chronological, I assume because they were an anthology, there isn't a chronology in air quotes. No. Is there some sort of any, because I'm thinking about him writing them, like things like this when he, when he was writing these, these are the sort of things that obviously he's long dead, so I could never ask him these questions, but I would just be like, how do you when you write something that's obviously like writing the harry potter films yeah jk rowling i don't think she's the best writer mm. in writing but some of our ideas are excellent and you just go well how do you start that story we well, start in year one it's a kid at school so you just do seven you kind of go from there okay i get how you would write that i get how you'd write styles when you write anthology stuff when you have like um i know 2000 ad i think uh, like there's lots of different creators they all kind mm-hmm. of was picked a sector in air quotes and kind of went from there but when you've got one dude who's just like i have this idea of these other god things and i'm just going to write random stories that aren't even directly about them they're just peripheral yeah. seeing them like how the fuck do you write that i don't understand like it must have all it must have all been his head i mean mm. he was a pro- like I say, he was a pro- prolific writer i would assume there's lots of notes but like yeah uh, you know, and again, like some of it's reference, some of it's not. Um, but this idea of this pantheon of gods uh, is, you know, and um, I mean, what I would say is just like, you know, he cribbed from other people. Like I said, he cribbed from Poe and, and um, Lord Dunsany, um, but also other writers of the time, you know, so he, he, not, he didn't steal outright, but there was this idea of sort of like shared ideas. Um, there's a god called Haster, um yeah, which he actually originally came from a poem. I can't remember the name of the poem, but he's also referred to as the King in Yellow. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, I'm looking at the, that directly re- uh, references uh, R.W. Chambers' collection of short stories, uh, the, King, uh, the King in Yellow. And that is about, again, um, it's a completely separate universe, completely separate, sort of, but that's a selection of stories that's set in a different time and about a book 
or a play actually, a, 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 a manuscript for a play that if you read, you go mad. Like you can't read the whole thing. It literally drives you crazy. And then the book is called The King in Yellow. Mm. Um, but this idea of what this thing is, this unknown um, knowledge, this, this unknowable knowledge, this, this thing that you cannot access or if you do it at your own risk sort of thing, is incredibly Lovecraftian. But no, it's not Lovecraft. It just sits aside of it. And they just sort of sit together in parallel almost parallel but there's like one or two threads that's just yeah. vaguely connecting them and with that of interest um you said shared universe and i don't know if you said this to me or if i'm imagining it am i right in thinking that he just let people actively just if you if someone wanted to write a story about cthulhu for example he just let them was it yeah, pretty I, much yeah yeah, yeah yeah i mean there was a lot of things i'd say so when he wrote i mean i said about the um the randolph carter books i think this, the one of those is actually written in conjunction with somebody else but no he actively said like you know if they asked i, I don't think they could take a character or anything but they're like oh i'm gonna do a story about and i'll probably i'm gonna mention miskatonic or the you know, necronomicon or this that he was like yeah, yeah go wild like he was all about that sort of open source ideas um one of the things I would say is, though, that you know, we say about Lovecraftian, and um, you say about other people contributing, and they have over the decades. Like, there's a whole bunch of like Lovecraftian horror or mythos horror has grown. It's become its own genre, um, and you can find a whole number of books about it. And there's specific mythos books, and one of the things that I, it irritates me a little bit, but I understand why it happens. When when Lovecraft wrote these things, he envisioned the the elder gods or the gods the other gods being um completely indifferent to us they were not evil they were not good they just didn't care like they existed for their own purposes and that was it and there were, some of their purposes are so alien to us that you can't fathom what it is they actually want later on when these things grow you get a good pantheon and you get a bad pantheon of gods. And all of a sudden it becomes about this thing of saving the earth and, and how this is this ancient battle. And it just seems that seems incredibly human to me, this idea of good versus evil, where I prefer it in this sort of um, earlier state where like, no, no, they were just chaos. Like they don't, they don't care about us in any shape or form. If we're in the way, like you're going to get trodden on, like there's that, but you know, Cthulhu doesn't wake up and be like, you know, it's it's not like, it's almost like you know imprinting this idea of the Christian ideals of like oh yeah, there's, there's there's God and the angel versus the Satan and the you know and the devils. No, it doesn't work like that. These just didn't care. Like you know, uh, Lovecraft was an atheist as well. I should note that you know he had he was all about science. Like didn't believe in religion at all. And so to have this good versus evil thing sort of it, it irks me a little bit at times to sort of hear them do it in that way. So. Um, you prefer that sort of moral ambiguity in a sense where exactly like yeah yeah they do horrible things especially sort of like the whisper out of darkness but they're doing it not for what you understand you know mm, um, yeah and, and- the way I, I rationalize it is like us with a lot of insects, for example. It's like, you know, the, what Perfect. we do what yeah. we do to what we do to ants is horrendous. We commit mass genocide to ants constantly. When we, you know, how many people in their kitchens in summer get a few too many ants, they notice that the crack by the door, there's like a little hole of ants coming in, they pour a bit of boiling water, put a bit of ant powder down. Don't think about it, just I don't really want these ants on my fruit. But then to these <laughs> ants, it's like you've just murdered how many, God knows how many families, poured boiling water <laughs> down their home tunnels and melted all of them. This horrendous yeah. thing. We are just, just we we are indifferent to them unless they are in our way, and that's that's exactly what these these elder gods were. Um, yeah, and I, I love that. And it, it, that's a much more interesting concept to me, and much more terrifying. This idea yeah, that yeah, like, you know we we are just on the we are just this little insignificant thing in in space, and there's all these other 
crap going we can't even make an impact that's the thing because when you have good versus evil it's that kind of idea where like it's that thanos idea isn't it if there's ultimate evil there's going to be some sort of ultimate good and therefore there's some way you can win but if there's no good or evil it's just indifference you can't convince indifference if even what you say doesn't even register it doesn't even like if an ant tries to talk to you it's not like you're thinking that ant's trying to talk to me it's like i don't even you could sit there next to an ant for weeks you you won't know they're trying to talk to you because it's not it's not even on the same wavelength it's completely different and i think that's where it comes from and that uh, that's the thing about it so i say yeah they are completely separate to us completely alien completely uh, you know um just different and like I say alien but one of the good things is like you say about there not being a hero is there's never any sort of winning as well so if I take like the story of the beyond like it's revealed that there's these things that if uh, you stimulate the pineal gland in a certain way you now are able to see these creatures that exist on a different wavelength to us like they exist on our planet they've always existed on our planet we can now just perceive them through this machine but also they can now perceive us, which becomes a risk um, because they can attack you sort of thing. But before they didn't, because we they couldn't perceive us and we couldn't perceive them. They're still there. Mm. And after the story, they're still there. And we've now, like, this door has been opened a little bit where the technology is there now to perceive them. And, you know, it's that sort of thing again of saying like, you know, well, there's no winning in this story. They're still there. And it's like, you know, these, these um, again, I'll go back to like the, the, um, the haunter in the dark or like the whisper in the darkness like those stories where they end up with the person just going like yeah well i've done this to sort of stop this event but no they're still there <laughs> like this azathoth is still out there or the these shogoth cults are still in the woods doing this stuff like i haven't beaten anybody like there's no grand victory i've just survived um and i think that's the important part of this is like there is no heroes in this they are just survivors and i think that's one of the the things that people forget about Lovecraftian horror is that there is, there is no one that comes out and sort of, go, you know, there's no sort of superhero moment or uh, where they go, ha ha. It's just like, no, no, no. Like I've, I've basically, I've gone mad with the <laughs> understanding this wider perception. It makes you think of like uh, how the nature, like looking at the world in an atheistic view. And I myself am, well, I'm an atheist or mm-hmm. an agnostic, depending on what day you catch me on, but I generally don't <laughs> believe in a God. You know, the mm-hmm. most I believe is maybe there's an energy connecting everything in the universe together, but that's a whole nother conversation. I do not believe in <laughs> deities, but like with that, the way I kind of look at earth and things is like, it's basically nature, you know, and us humans are just a part of it. We like to think we can control it. And obviously climate change and all those other things, we can negatively affect it in some way, but like a mouse can nip at the ankle of an elephant and cause it pain. That doesn't mean it can kill the elephant. And that's almost how I kind of view us on earth in some ways. But it's like, if we let the pandemic as an example, or like an earthquake, you don't beat an earthquake. An earthquake happens and, you may or may not survive it and the infrastructure that you built around the area may or may not survive and then after the earthquake you just build shit again and just hope another one doesn't happen and and that's what it kind of sounds like that's very much what it is it's all you know some people have to go on um yeah and i think that's a really good point the way that idea of the sort of an ant nipping at the heel of an elephant is, is exactly sort of the way it is it's like you can do your best you know but you've got no real chance against some of these creatures um well, the other thing I should say is that some of this is, you know, we talk about Lovecraft and you know, that's the point. And I, I do recommend checking out his books, check out those Wordsworth editions and, and all the other stuff. Well, that's really good because, yeah, three uh, quid on Amazon. I'm definitely going to pick some of them up. Oh, yeah, definitely go check those out. Um, what I would say is it's it's he wasn't writing in isolation. 
um, sort of fantasy, horror, and sci-fi sort of pulp magazines were coming out like weekly, monthly, whatever. Uh, and there were other writers, uh, and some of them have been lost to the annals of time, and we, you know, just sort of unfortunate. But if if you do like um, this kind of thing, if you use sort of thing, especially the horror, like you know, if you want to go for the full weird, then the, you go can go for the full weird. And there's a whole sort of um, modern weird fiction, like you know, you can go. There's all kinds of stuff going out there as well. There's loads of people writing, not just mythos you know cthulhu kind of stuff but sort of tapping into that sort of lovecraftian idea of weird as in sort of like there's no hero there's no villain there's just this weird thing and you partake of this event uh weird fiction but even back in the day the sort of the late um, 19th century into the early 20th century like this was a big thing um and so you get other authors like uh as i said rw chambers um was one arthur Mackin um was another uh, and then you get sort of uh, oh, uh, uh, William Hope Hodgson um, wrote one of the first supernatural detectives mm. uh, and wrote a lot of weird fiction. Um, and then you get sort of like uh, really good sort of ghost stories and horror stories of a sort of a similar ilk from um, M.R. James, um, uh, Benson, E.F. Benson um, and all that sort of thing. So there's this whole sort of plethora of writers and Lovecraft sort of sits at the top as the recognized one. And then below that are all these other writers that you're like, Oh, look, if you like this, go and check out these other people. Cause they're really cool. Um, Arthur Mackin, for example, just give you a bit of a side story, wrote a, um, a see if I've got it in his book, uh, wrote a story called, Oh, the Bowman. There it is. So he wrote a book called the Bowman. And in that it's a story of, uh, during world war one, uh, some people go over the trench and they're about to get slaughtered. And then the ghosts of the Bowman of Agincourt sort of turn up and support the troops and fire on the Germans and all this other stuff. Uh, and it was written in a paper as a fiction story, a bit like, um, you know, just a bit of a Sunday times. Here's your, here's your story sort of thing. But some people took it because it's written as a first person account. Some people took it as an actual depiction of an event that had happened in the trenches. Mm. And all of a sudden it got taken on as a story uh, and it got called the angels of Mon. So if you now Google the angels of Mon, it's this thing of people going, yeah, these angels turned up and protected the British troops from this thingy. And they start making all these quotes and and Arthur Mackin had to write back and go like, no, that's my story. I made this up. Um, But people still take it as a, a, I've heard it quoted as fact, a super, I've, I've listened to supernatural podcasts where they've gone, yeah, there's this event in World War One that people have talked about where the angels arrived and protected the troops. And I'm going, no, that was a weird fiction tale that was told by this guy in a newspaper. Um, so they, they, these aren't these authors were, were, were prevalent and, and really a part of the culture uh, and really worth checking out. And that's Arthur Macken. Um, but like I say, yeah, uh, E.F. Benson, uh, R.W. Chambers, William Hope Hodgson, all these guys I recommend. And you can find their work because they're all out, out of – uh, copyright now so they get printed quite a lot so um do do check them out i mean especially if you, if you like the weirdness the, the great god pan by arthur Mackin is weird that's a really good sort of weird tale that is um but yeah like lovecraft is is an entry point and he's a good entry point like his, his stories are wonderful and dark and and you know uh really weird but it, it is an entry point to some fantastic writers from the early part of the 20th century Mm. Yeah, now interesting because you said uh, slightly earlier when you got into um, Lovecraft is when you were sort of a teenager. Did you just go to a bookshop, pick it up, and that was that, or did someone get you into it out of interest? Or how did you- no, it was it was one of those things where 
um, I was watching a lot of films as a, as a teen, as I do now. To be perfectly honest, <laughs> <We> both do. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'd watch things like um, Herbert West Reanimator and uh, From Beyond, and I watched again In the Mouth of Madness, which came out early nineties, and probably earlier than I should have done. And I'm like, what? You know, this is really weird. And I remember just seeing Lovecraft, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's um, uh, Herbert West Reanimated, or Herbert West Reanimator. And I was like, who is that? And obviously, you don't get. There was no internet in in the early early nineties, so I did. I went to the library and I was like, "I want to find out who Lovecraft is." <laughs> and I remember just finding it. It was a paperback. It was a an old, readily beaten up paperback, and it had a, sh- a collection of ten of his stories in. Um, and I remember it had in uh, Dagon, and the, well, the ones I really love, actually, weirdly, you know, uh, uh, Beyond the Wall of Sleep um, and uh, Cats of Ulthar and a couple of others, these stories. Uh, the Tomb, which is a really good one. And I remember sort of reading, and yeah, this is where this other stuff. And like you say, um, just keeping an eye out. And uh, the, the second book I picked up was a, a thicker one. It was from a charity shop. And that was it, really. For, for years, that was all I had. And I went on to read other things and do other things. And then really, I think it was sort of um, probably about 10 years ago that I got back into it. I was like, yeah, we should go read some more. I want to go back and read the Lovecraft stuff again. And I've got some really good paperback editions. And then I've, now I've got a really nice slipcase hardback edition that I used for every now and then. But I've also got the other paperback editions as well. So, yeah, it just sort of has just been there. Hmm. Um and you say about the Alan Moore comics. To, to your knowledge, have any other writers tried to embark on trying to put pen to paper with uh, Lovecraftian stories? And oh, things? yeah, yeah. There's a load. So there's a, there's a bunch of anthologies that cover the adaptations of the stories, as well as again, sort of coming from a side view of like, and here's a a mythos tale or a Lovecraftian tale and that sort of thing. So. Um, some are good, some not so good. You know, it's one of those. This interpretation um, is it? It's kind of how yeah. your mind's eye views things in a way. Again, I think the thing is because of budget and other things, comics medium is a good place for Lovecraft mm. because things can breathe. You can draw some of the wildest stuff. Um, and you can also, you know, um, keep things hidden in, in a more sort of creative way. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of them work really, really well. Some I've read others that you just sort of go, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's all right. Take like, some of the yeah. magic out in a, in a way. Yeah. Like it's a bit, it's like with anything. I think you, you, you know, we said it when we talked about sort of the star Wars comics, like there's easy, there's easy stories to tell, you know, where they go, all right, well, I've got the three or four main characters so we can do anything we want because everyone's going to read this. Mm. You know, everyone stick Cthulhu in it or, or, you know, one of those main characters in a story and everyone's going to go, oh, it's Lovecraft tale. And you go, yeah, but there's better stories to tell. There's more interesting ways to approach this. Mm. Um, And they're the ones I really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, It's so weird because like Lovecraft is one of those, he's like the most famous author you've never heard of. Because like everyone's heard of Edgar Allan Poe, for example. I couldn't name you. I think, is there a book of his called The Crow? I know he has a thing about crows. The Raven. Yeah, The Raven. See, that's it. poem. Yeah. So I I have such vague peripheral knowledge on Edgar Allan Poe. Half of it, I think, is from the South Park episode, Goth Kids, where they bring him back from the dead and talk. All my knowledge about these crazy authors (laughs) comes from South Park, which shows how uncultured I am. (laughs) You're right that you are so uncouth. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. I think Lovecraft is probably one of the most popular authors that, that so few people have read. But you you know what it is. If you you know, there are people that like horror that's never read 
a story of Lovecraft. But if you would say, what's Lovecraftian horror, they can name you things, you know, sort of the thing. John Carpenter's The Thing is a prime example of a Lovecraftian tale. Like, mm. That's a perfect, that's a perfect adaptation of a Lovecraftian story that's not a Lovecraft story. Like, it's a really good modernization. Lovecraft adjacent. Yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. Look, it exists in the wilderness. No one wins. It's, you know, it's all about the survival. You know, it's 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 a perfect Lovecraft tale. No one faints in it that I'm aware of, but, you know, <laughs> close enough. Um, but, yeah, those sorts of stories are really good. That's, um, p- people know that as a Lovecraft tale, but have they read At the Mountains of Madness? Probably not. Um, but you've also probably, you know, you're, I, know, I don't know if you're a gamer, but like, I know that, you know, there's loads of... Uh, Lovecraft games, Ark, you know, um, Arkham Madness, and some other stuff. Where they've they've taken the games, role playing games, and all this other stuff. So it's not just the stories. It's the mythos is broken up into all these wonderful different ways of interpreting it and doing things with it. So yeah. um, I think Cthulhu is the big one. I think which is is mm. the one where obviously I've seen it in South Park. But before I saw it, when I saw it in South Park, I was like, oh shit, Cthulhu's in this. So I don't remember yeah. how I knew about Cthulhu before that, but I remember seeing it and knowing what that was. And I think I was watching it with a mate of mine, and they were like, what the hell is that? And I was like, I was like, well, I know, I recognise it. You asked me what it is. It's a being that's a destroyer from an old mm. author called Lovecraft, I think. And that was like, you know, with, I want to ask actually more about uh, Lovecraft Country. Because um, I saw the, not the trailer, but there's like a banner on my uh, smart TV or something advertising it at one point ages ago. And I remember seeing mm. that and going, is that going to be about Lovecraft? So in is Lovecraft Country, is what is it? I, I'm just interested now because I'm, yeah. So it, it's, a, I don't want to spoil much about it because no, it is Please really don't spoil good. it, but just yeah, like, and I'll, I will, vaguely. So, Vaguely, it's it's basically again this idea that there is um, an individual um, who is a former soldier and sort of thing. He goes home, and then he finds out his dad's gone missing, and so he has to go on a quest to find uh, his dad. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the clues that remain point towards um, Lovecraftian tales. Now, in this in the in the show, Lovecraft is an author, like you know they read them as kids and all this other stuff. So it's, it's it's not like he exists where Miskatonic University exists. It's Lovecraft existed as an author. And then so that all of a sudden, like it starts to open that door and it's that thing of unknown knowledge or, you know, unobtainable knowledge. And you, there's a reason it's unknown, like leave it unknown sort of thing. And they sort of, they get into it and it becomes a journey that takes them onto this uh, thing. But more than that, what that, that's it in a nutshell from a, from a very straightforward point of view. But what the show does that's really wonderful is it confronts, Lovecraft's bigotry, right? Uh, and some of the things like so. The main characters are all blacks. It's set in the, I think the fifties or the forties. So it's um, it confronts that as well uh, in, in a really wonderful way to say that you know it's it, in a great way to say do you know what as, as we've sort of said look look take that element that is a is a real problem but it can still be used to make a point without losing all the good stuff that he brought along. Hmm. And so it's worth seeing. It's a really good show. Yeah, once I've done some uh, reading and things like that, because it's one of those things where there's so many cool things that I want to embark on, but I am very much, I like to get the background information. Like, Mm. it it sounds self-conflating, but one of my favourite comedies and types of comedy is social commentary. Like, I keep talking about South Park. I fucking love South Park, because that's one of them. But South Park isn't funny if you don't know anything. You can't, children, as much as children, when I was a child, I wanted to watch South Park, half the time you watch it and you get some of the stupid things that like, you know, uh, Mr. Hanky or fart jokes or people exploding, that part, but the true humor and the genius of it comes from understanding, like, a very easy one is the, um, 
uh, there's a Jonas Brothers episode. Have you seen that one with Mickey Mouse? I think and stuff? So. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like Mickey Mouse. He's basically the whole idea is you know Disney's is an evil corporation. The whole idea is it's actually Mickey Mouse is a real being and he's hundreds of years old and he's evil and he's just yeah. running the show. And it's not what Disney's not evil. It's Mickey Mouse himself. It's actually he literally breathes fire and all the sort of other things and he swears and you know he's beating the Jonas Brothers up because they're not wearing absolute rings. And it's like <laughs> all of that is so funny because you know that Disney's agenda when the Jonas Brothers were about was all about abstinence and trying to be you know mm. to do with religion. But if you watch that without knowing that, you just go, why is Mickey Mouse beating the shit out of the Jonas Brothers? Like, that's funny on one level, but yeah. for the next level of humour... And that's the thing about satire, because, you know, I say the same about, like, Judge Dredd. Mm. Um, being a big Judge Dredd fan, like, you can access those stories and just say, oh, yeah, this is a kick-ass, violent action-adventure thing where I'm a little bit you know, a bit concerned that the protagonist is a violent fascist, um, you know, enforcer of the law. But if you if you are aware of the wider world and what it's doing, you read that and go, "Oh, this is a satire on, you know, American gun culture, or mm-hmm. um, you know, originally sort of Thatcher's Britain, now sort of more like Tory Britain and this other thing." Like it, it poking fun at those things, you need that context for it to really work. Um, and that's it. So Lovecraft Country works in that way. It's it'll 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 make you confront certain things as well though, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a it's a really good show. Um, yeah. I, I do like shows that make me think. Like uh, there's a there's a film I saw actually, which is slightly off topic. Have you seen? It's a Danny Boyle film with James McAvoy. It's called Trance. Have you ever seen that? No. It's cracking. It's got Rosario Dawson in as well, and she's brilliant in it. And I won't spoil it, but it's the whole thing is about um, going to hypnotherapy and being very easy to um, you know go under, and it's. Mm someone's journey they start having that and then how that kind of where that goes and the idea of it it's just quite interesting where there's parts of you that you wouldn't know exist or parts of you at least that could either be hidden or whatever without you knowing it and then you have to confront them without prior knowing they were there but now things kind of flood back to you and you're like wait Mm. a fucking minute and it's things like that where i watch shows or movies and things where you come out of it and you go like The Matrix is probably it's slightly different a thing, but Matrix is one of those films where it's probably the number one film where people watched and went, "Is the Matrix real? Is the, did that really happen? Like, are we actually still, still a theory? Yeah, still a theory. Well, simulation theory is like one of the biggest. It's one of those mm. brilliant theories because it's I don't necessarily subscribe to it, but I don't not subscribe to it because that whole idea of if you look at it rationale and logic, probability wise, we are in a simulation because the theory of it ever existing, well, the chance that we're the only reality that isn't one. If you think of it in a mathematical sense, it is near on impossible for us to not be in a simulation. Yeah. But me, whether or not I'm in a simulation or not, doesn't affect my life. So I try not <laughs> try not to think about it too much. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those where you're lying in a field looking up at the sky and you're like, oh man, the fact that I'm in a pod somewhere or I only exist as information on some interdimensional being's data drive is really depressing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, is is there... Um, there's... Obviously, we've been talking for a long time, and I love it because we're talking mm. about Lovecraft. Uh, is there anything else to mention about Lovecraft that we have not yet touched? Not really. I think just go 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 try them out. I mean, again, like, like I said, the, the key to it is um, go in with eyes open. You know, uh, this isn't uh, – although they were written for pulp magazines, it's not throwaway uh, reading. You'll probably have to give it a bit of brain power to sort of keep the flow of what is going. But once you get the cadence and the flow, it's really good. Uh, start small and work up. That's the thing I'd, I'd, I'd recommend. Start with some of the shorter stories, some of the smaller stuff, and then work up to the biggest. Um, but yeah, no, seriously, just give it a go. I think I think I always recommend that people check out Lovecraft because mm. um, it's he's, he's just 
it's a slice in time. You will see the influences and you'll read stuff and you'll be like, oh, Mr. Stephen King, I know where you were coming from. <laughs> um and others as well but like yeah I, I, that's it really i think it's just it's just without going into loads of stuff like the stories which i don't really want to do anymore but it's it's it's, it's well worth checking out that's awesome we'll put a full stop in there uh can you chat for a little bit longer or do you have to go i know it's getting quite late no 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 no, no. I'm, I'm i'm free for at least a, well, yeah for a little bit wonderful cool 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 um so one thing i did want to ask you about then is i've got the, i've got the two paths i can ask you about moon knight or warbat 2000 ad i think i'll go with moon knight for mm-hmm. now two main things uh obviously is uh big podcast is 20th century geek which you can find us on uh, twitter facebook social media all over the place just look for at 20th century geek i also do a sci-fi movie review podcast with the fantastic julian darius uh, that's called stories out of time and space and we are on twitter at pod time space uh, and if you want to come for just find me uh, and and tell me why uh, you know I'm wrong about something or what you want to support uh, Lovecraft or Moon Knight or that. You can find me at Scott Weatherly uh, also on Twitter. And that's the end of part two. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. As I said, part three is going to be its own episode, episode one, two, three, huzzah. Um, and it is about just Moon Knight. As you can see by the end there, it just, uh, there's no point having an episode which was like fully HP Lovecraft and then half Lovecraft, half Moon Knight. I just thought I'd split it apart um, just then, people, because Moon Knight and Lovecraft are quite two opposing works of literature. You know, they're ve- I mean, although one could argue that Lovecraft maybe even influenced the creation of Moon Knight and all that sort of stuff regardless of that weird caveat or whatever i just think that it works better when they're split i just want to add in there the end there which may sound a bit weird out of place where scott gave all his plugs and stuff I and mean, he said that right at the end of the moon Knight episode so i thought i'd pop it in here as well just so it's a bit easier than me saying it all um obviously all the links are in the description and whatnot and as i said in the intro if you go over to patreon.com slash genuine chit chat right now and you support the show uh, you can get access to that moon Knight episode right now as well as my afterthoughts show that i do with megan twice a week each episode's between 10 and 20 minutes long generally apart from the spider-man 3 one um but yeah we've been doing spider-man rewatch captain america thor um we've watched documentaries we've watched tv series and um, we're not just watching marvel stuff just to clarify uh, there's like chick flicks in there i think obviously when it gets nearer like halloween and whatever we'll watch like horror films when films start coming out in the cinema a bit more as well we'll start doing some cinema releases and things but just at the moment everything's a bit uh, in the air but yeah we're releasing two of them a week so check out that it's quite a wide berth i try and make it so that of the two that get released a week one is either star wars or mcu or something superhero-ish and the other one is not to do with that so we've watched parasite recently we've done one about the big lebowski we did the documentary series murder among the mormons we did one episode about 27 dresses are knocked up little miss sunshine uh, we watched 500 days of summer last night um which i hadn't seen before whereas megan had so probably gonna do an episode on that so there's a lot of people films some chick flicks occasional documentaries random series like queen's gambit and witcher and things uh, and then also marvel and superhero and star warsy stuff so it's quite a wide berth of things i'm trying to make sure that the content is varied enough but if you go to patreon.com slash genuine chit chat right now you can listen to our review of the witcher series one and star wars the phantom menace for free uh and yeah i'm excited to release the spider-man 3 one <laughs> half an hour long of megan just ripping on spider-man <laughs> it's pretty damn good it's a lot of fun um but yeah, aside from that, guys, uh, what have we got coming up? So obviously next week is going to be the Moon Knight episode for the non-support of the show. Uh, and then the week after that, I've got a two-parter recorded with a gentleman named Tom Everett. Um, he's an actor and he's also done stage performance and things. Uh, we spoke about that for a little bit and then we end up getting into some sort of 
fairly deep-ish conversation uh, about God, it was morality. I think religion was involved in there as well. There was quite. It was kind of off the shoulders of he really liked the conversation I had with Jack Thomas of Just Conversations Pod, where we had like a two-hour-long discussion on the concept of good or evil. When we did that, Tom ever actually listened to that and said how much he enjoyed it. So we spoke about that a little bit. Uh, so that was quite a fun one. I've also got a two-parter recorded with Matthew B. Lloyd, who is in uh, Comics in Motion, the Comics in Motion family. He releases his show Classic Comics every other Monday on Comics in Motion, and he talks about comics from the golden age which is you know 40s and 50s and i think maybe the 60s but i think it's mainly the 40s and 50s and sort of a little bit before that um it's really really interesting show that he's got and we spoke about star wars for pretty much the whole time and there's newspaper strips of star wars which i wasn't even aware of and there's a panel where luke skywalker is being taught to ski by boba fett yes you heard that right (laughs) boba fett teaches luke skywalker how to ski in the legends comics of star wars that are released in like 78 or something so just for clarity when people are get up in arms about the canon and the legend stuff like there is more obviously disney did it for a hundred reasons obviously money and being able to rewrite it however they pleased but legends was a big mess <laughs> none of it was consistent and it didn't make any sense there were so many contradictions in it <laughs> just reading the comic and having a panel of boba fett teaching uh, luke skull out of ski is just one of the most hilarious things i've ever read so now, the two um, episodes I've got sort of recorded in the bank, as it were, at the moment. Um, regarding plans for future releases, I've got quite a few things in the pipeline as well that are coming to fruition uh fingers crossed there's just uh, i'm very busy at the moment doing a lot hundreds of other things i'm trying to launch another show on comics emotion as well which is going to be a, some sort of book club thing which now that i've said that out loud is hopefully going to give me the kick up the bum to get this sorted so yeah a lot of different things i'm involved with and all of it is great fun uh aside from that guys really nothing else to add apart from me always going on about either my star wars show Star Wars comics and canon or my patreon uh Star Wars comics and canon on the feed of comics in motion episodes are out every saturday and i've tried to make the episode so that whether or not you've ever read a star wars comic before in your life or if you've read every single conceivable one the show is still going to be something that's interesting i go through the narratives of comics i explain the connective tissue where characters and species have popped up before um the recent one i did with dr afra it had force sensitive space mold in it which is just mental and i went on a little uh, a little tangent of about um, figuring Dan and the modal nodes uh, which is actually the cantina band in uh, the new hope that you hear doing the there are species called bith and there's just a panel where it looks like they may have been killed uh, it's not explicitly confirmed but i go into details about that and the band themselves and yes it's called figuring Dan because there's a d and apostrophe a n so if you wanted to know what the band was called you know and you didn't already pick up from me talking about it here go check out episode i think it's 51 of styles comics in canon uh, it's a lot of fun and i try and make each episode so that anyone can get into them i try and explain it in that sort of way but anyway guys that is enough rambling from me really hope you guys enjoyed uh, this episode really hope you enjoy the moon Knight one next week which is another one that i listen to over again because it's a really really cool episode and yeah exciting things in the pipeline as we keep going so thanks as always for listening guys i appreciate each and every one of you listening especially up to the end of this rambly nonsense uh make sure you give scott weatherly of 20th century geek and stories out of time and space all the love in the world and tell him how much you loved his appearance on genuine chit chat because i mean him had an absolutely amazing time talking as we always do we always talk for ages about nonsense but yeah it was it was so much fun and yeah i appreciate you guys listening give scott all the love and i'll talk to you next week <laughs>